Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it, from the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life, and in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you, so the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to legendary sports psychologist Bill Besick, who was at Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson. And the theme of our conversation is character. Morning, Bill. Good morning, Simon. How are you? I'm good, thank you, in lockdown Cheshire. <laughs> How are you finding lockdown? Well, I tell you, I think uh, it's not made a fantastic difference for me and my wife. We're very fortunate in the sense that we have a nice house and a garden. And most of my work has started to become more home-based anyway. So things have continued, not as normal, but not too far away. In terms of other people, Bill, because obviously you work with people and their mentality and dealing with difficult situations, exactly like the one we find ourselves in. There's obviously the fear of the virus itself, but how much of an impact do you think the sort of uncertainty of the situation is likely to have on people as well? I think that's a very big factor because people operate best in, in, in times of certainty. But it's the uncertainty that sportsmen face all the time. That's the challenge. You know, it's unscripted drama. 
and it's dealing with the uncertainty and trying to make as many controllables out of the uncertainty as possible. So, for example, with the onset of the virus and lockdown, you could make a decision to turn a threat into an opportunity and suddenly you've changed the story, you've changed the way your mind's working and you've got control as far as you can out of the uncertainty. In normal circumstances, many people complain to me, certainly a lot of my business clients, that uh, they're on the treadmill of life. They don't get any sort of personal timeouts to think and reflect on, the, on all sorts of aspects of their life and uh, development. This is suddenly everybody's forced off the treadmill. And what a wonderful moment to capture. It's a sort of personal timeout to reflect on your story and whether your story in life is heading the way you want it to be. I think there will be many people go back to work with a different perspective now, having worked from home and perhaps having not worked at all, having had more time with the family, having had more time to read, to think, to reflect. I think it, it's that turning a threat into an opportunity and because you're off the treadmill, taking a deep breath and thinking, am I living the life I want to lead? Do you think the treadmill of life had got too quick before this pandemic set in? I really do. I think it's a, it's, it's, for some people, it will be a wake-up call because the treadmill is a, is a wonderful excuse for not thinking. And, and I see that in sport all the time. The regular pattern of daily training, daily activities, game, recover, train, game, recover, train, it actually forces you into an almost a non-thinking state uh, and you lose perspective and balance in your life. I've had a couple of people get in touch with me who listen to the podcast and appreciate sort of the mental health angle, for example, who've said things like uh, some of the issues that they maybe had around anxiety, they were able to distract themselves from before. But now, because we're all under lockdown, that opportunity has gone. That may feel uncomfortable, but is that an opportunity in and of itself to face those uncomfortable feelings as well as the thoughts that we've been avoiding? Yes, I think that's, uh, that's a great point, Simon, that the people are making, that um, anxiety is a piece of information that won't go away, but you can distract it by keeping moving, keeping busy. And, and many of the coaches I've worked with actually do that. They don't face up to the realities of life because they always have an excuse to keep moving. I've got to be somewhere. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. We're playing on Tuesday. Now is a chance to actually look that anxiety in the face and say... I'm going to stop reacting to you. I'm going to start dealing with you and actually put it to bed once and for all to overcome it and, and to be much more mentally healthy when situation returns. I can really give you examples of when athletes or coaches come to see me privately and, and they find that just sharing their anxieties, being honest about what's happening in their lives and what's getting in their own way helps them enormously. So the starting point might be to be honest about the anxiety and to share it with somebody you love or care, or even somebody online, a mentor, a counsellor, an old friend. Uh, you know, increase communication, decrease anxiety is an old phrase my wife tells me so, very often. And I, I think that the starting point is an, a willingness to address the issue. Secondly, a willingness to share it. 
and thirdly, the beginnings of an action plan. And there's plenty of good material online. We hear about the bad material, but there's plenty of good material about action planning. So when a client comes to me with an anxiety, we share it, we become more aware of it, we then begin to look at ways which we can deal with it, uh, and usually they leave with the beginnings of an action plan, and they feel much better about it after they've shared it, and much better that they've addressed it. And of course, they're stronger personally after such a process. So vulnerability and being open is key. And and just quickly then, uh, th- this opportunity then of, of this, of being that we're going through, rather than the, the relentless doing, so getting back into into just being to some degree, is, is, is the balance between being and doing was that out of out of whack and is this an opportunity to get that bit more bit more um eat on an even keel i think if i take my two sons i was a ordinary pe teacher when i started but i had time to watch my children play the games and the activities and go to school and see them operate but my two sons are very busy professionals, very successful, but very busy, successful professionals, which is time demanding. And you wonder about quality of life. And and I think one of the big things that people reflect on is, yes, I make money. Yes, I've got a nice house. Yes, I'm doing well. But have I got quality in my life? You just taught, called it, Simon. Am I operating fully as a human being rather than a human doing? Right, let's reflect back on your career then, Bill, because obviously you work with some fascinating people, players, coaches, Sir Alex Ferguson, Steve McLaren, but you started out life as a basketball coach, but you were drawn to the psychological side of the game. Oh, that was very significant for me. I think when you begin coaching, you're consumed by skills and techniques. Then as you develop and mature as a coach, you become consumed and fascinated by tactics and cohesion. But when you fully mature as a coach, you suddenly realise you're coaching people, human beings. And actually the success of coaching at the highest level is the way you deal and manage those people. And with coaching basketball and coaching all over the world, I became more and more aware in the process of trying to get that young team to win, that it really was all about people, attitude and character. And that's where I began to make the transition from coach to sports psychologist. It was at a time, wasn't it, when psychology was not as popular as it is now. So I imagine lots of coaches wouldn't have been drawn to the psychological side as you were. And I've heard you speak about everything being nature and nurture. So what part of your attraction to the psychological side was born of your own experience and what part of it was intrinsic in your character that you brought into this world? Well, I am a very emotional, empathetic person. I'm a feeling person. So I feel the pain of my clients and, and I share that with them. So there was a tendency on my part from the youngest son of a large family from the middle of Manchester, there was a tendency on my part to have that sort of disposition. But really the key factor was experience. Just the amount of experiences I had as a coach led to my self-investigation because, you know, 
and in teaching others and, and observing others, I, I had to reflect on myself. Do I do this? Do I behave this way? Do I stand up under pressure? So it was, it was a thoroughly exhilarating and enriching experience, which I think has left me a better person. So you learn about yourself as you try to help others. Yes, you can't help but do that. I wouldn't say I've been very successful because some of my flaws are very deep. But I have reshaped my behaviour and become, I think, a better husband, father, person, friend, because of my experience and taste of sports psychology. That's something that I tell all my clients. This will not just make you a better coach or a better athlete or a better team. This will make you better people. I remember telling, I went to talk a few years ago to Barnsley, Lee Johnson was manager, and they'd lost a lot of games on the bounce. And I talked about reshaping their thinking from victim to fighter. And I actually said to them, boys, this doesn't just define you as athletes, this defines you as men, how you deal with this. So I, I think there is a carryover with all my clients that if they learn some of the constructs of behaving well in high performance situations they carry them over to behaving well in life situations so one of the things that was key to my reshaping into the, the domain of psychology was that my realization that when i was choosing my players to in basketball you select five that go on the court and you control those five you can replace them any time the five players I was finishing games with in the, the sort of the big moments of the games were the five strongest characters. They weren't the five most talented. And a lot of people around me didn't understand that. They thought that you finished a game with your five most talented players on the floor. But I found I had greater success with the five strongest characters, the people I could, the young men I could trust under pressure and fatigue. How would you define character then? Well, for me, it's doing the right thing repeatedly despite pressure and fatigue. All psychology comes down to you versus you. Your weak side versus your strong side. Your victim side versus your fighter side. And character and showing character means not taking the excuses, making sure that your strong side wins repeatedly. And as the excuses roll in, and they do roll in in high-performance situations, and I understand them, I empathise with my clients, as, as the, the excuses roll in, you bat them off one by one. And that's why, that's how champions are born. Uh, yeah, I've had the great pleasure to work with Adam Peter, the swimmer. He doesn't take any excuses. His character starts at six o'clock in the morning and goes through to eight at night. He's, uh, he thinks like a champion. And... Even though there are excuses available to him, he's won a gold medal, he's won everything there is to win, he still turns up at six o'clock the next morning in a champion mentality. So I think it's this thing about not accepting the excuses or shortcuts, but doing the right thing repeatedly, regardless how you feel. When it comes to excuses then, how does that relate to the degree of personal responsibility one takes for one's life? Well, the starting point for character development, the starting point for becoming a champion is taking responsibility. I was, the, as mentioned, I was the youngest of six. My father worked very hard to maintain us all. And I was the youngest. I went to grammar school and all that things. 
he, it, we didn't have many conversations, but one he did have with me was he, he put a line on the floor and he said, uh, Bill, your brothers and me are on this side of the line. People tell us what to do. We, we follow orders. I want you to step across the line. I want you to take responsibility. And that was a big moment for me as a 16-year-old boy. And I think that that's what I'm really stressing, that once you take responsibility, the world opens up. But as long as you hide behind blame and excuses and shortcuts, the world closes down and you cannot be a champion, you cannot be a performer. So responsibility for me, self-responsibility, accepting being accountable is, is the hallmark of a great player. What exactly did your father mean by that then? Can you just try and elaborate a little bit what he meant by when he said that? Or how did you interpret what he said? Well, I interpreted it very easily because he was worked in a factory and uh, I, I don't think he was particularly motivated to work in a factory. I think he just did it because he needed to feed six kids. And uh, I took it to say, because I was at grammar school, he saw something in me which said, you could be different, you could move on from this. But to do that, you have to take responsibility. You have to be able to be accountable, manage other people, lead, make big decisions. And uh, that shaped my thinking from that moment on. So responsibility then relates very much to character and it's about making sure that you're giving your best. And therefore, if you take full responsibility, do the excuses just fall away? Yes, because you don't allow them in. Occasionally we're all weak and, we're, and one of my jobs as an observer of, of athletes in action is to discover and identify when excuses are coming in. Now, sometimes those excuses are difficult to uh, deal with because I remember going out in the training field at Middlesbrough and watching a player um, we had who was a, a foreign player who was usually outstanding in training have a very poor morning. And from his body language, I could identify that something was wrong. And I thought, is he tired and just making an excuse not to train properly? But actually, when we walked off the field together and we had a little detour and a longer walk, I found out that his father was dying and he was upset that he couldn't be with him. So sometimes, with the best one in the world, there are things that interfere with performance. But the things you control you should accept responsibility for. Sport initially was seen as a way to develop character, you know, in the public schools in the sort of 1800s as a way to develop people to then be able to go on and, and have the character to contribute to society and even lead society. Did you think that sport was a way to develop character and what, to what degree do you think it's, it's lost its way in that regard? Oh, I do think it's a way to develop character, or somebody, some people say reveal character. But I think that sport, in my early days, I've been around a long time now, in my early days, sport was seen as transformational. It took, like me, a young kid off the streets into the Manchester YMCA and reshaped me as a fully functioning, well, more or less, adult. Um, but I've seen the massive change to transactional to sport, not for the values of sport, not for the character building, but for the rewards that are available. 
So at one time we had sport for all in this country. Now we've got podium mentality. So a sport like my old sport, basketball, which can't win medals, it's impossible in the in world competition, is, is no longer funded because it doesn't win medals. But yet there's a sport that has enormous impact in urban areas, a, a really modern sport for a modern society. So I think that I am slightly disappointed that, on the other hand, the reality is that there is still a lot of great sport taking place uh, all over the country, at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, fathers taking sons to football, to rugby, daughters to hockey. It, it, it's, that's where we should put our support, in grassroots, because that's where character building is more important. We're building good citizens, good adults, good people. And what's more important than that? So the focus on winning has become too magnified at the expense of the contribution it can make to society and, and to growing individuals? No, I think winning is important. But there are processes with which I'll try to win and processes which I won't. As I said before with the basketball, I did quite well as a coach and I won with teams full of character. But those characters were shaped on values, hard work, trust, openness, honesty, sincerity, vulnerability, accountability. So the things go hand in hand with winning for me. But I do think that what's emerging from modern sport and certainly with the millennials and Gen Z, which is a fantastic generation, they will reshape thoughts about how w the process of winning. And certainly a lot of older coaches now are in trouble because their values are not in tune with the values of the 18-year-olds they're, they're going to coach. How important is it then to take time to actually establish one's values because I've spoken to a number of people who say that they're surprised if you ask a room full of people what their values are most actually don't know no that's true because again the treadmill stops us thinking I think becoming a parent I understand Sir Alex Ferguson's view that marriage and family were a good thing for our players because becoming a parent is is one of those moments when you re-establish and, re and review your values because you want your child to be brought up in the best way possible, in the best environment possible. Um, so I think that we talk values, but we don't think them, and sometimes we don't behave them because of external pressure. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So parenting reveals your values, you think then? Well, it, it certainly makes you, it, for me, it was very important to me, it, one of the most important things in my life, that I was a good dad to my two sons. I wanted them to be good people. I wanted them to be the people, be the people, be the person I perhaps couldn't be because of different backgrounds. So I do think that parenting is is one of those life moments when you do actually reflect on what can I do to help my child grow up in the best way possible. Someone who is as successful in management as someone like Sir Alex, who obviously, you know, you worked alongside for such a long time. To what degree was his success born of his own values then and the way he was consistent with them? Oh, very much so. I mean, his, he was the epitome of hard work, the work ethic and the constant drive for achievement. Um, he wasn't, there was no acting about him. He lived his values and they were simple, plain, but very consistent and very powerful. Psychology can seem complex, but actually, is it about doing the, the simple things and having those basic values and doing them as, as well as you can consistently? Is that what it's all about? Yes, it brings us back to two previous points we've made. The character is doing the right thing repeatedly despite pressure and fatigue. And the real battle is you versus you. The enemy is you versus you. It's not the, not the opposing team. It's you versus you, your strong side versus your weak side. So that is the basis on which we operate. As, 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 and if we are winning the battle of you versus you, and if we're building character to do the right things repeatedly our values will come to life in our behaviours and that will create a very powerful impression on the people around us. So you mentioned UVU. What do you think then is the key then to self-mastery and winning that battle? I think winning the battle of self-talk, looking in the mirror and saying, I can, not I can't, and feeding your thinking, your brain with positive reflections on yourself most victims beat themselves up regularly they have a, a whole vocabulary of language where they accept the excuses and then beat themselves up in private so i think changing the language the internal language the conversation we're having internally and getting the language of i sometimes can't choose the situation i find myself in but i can control my response and taking responsibility for your response and being of, the, of a, an attitude that says, I deal with things, I don't react, 
oh my God is too easy, too simple, too much of an excuse. That's not in my language. I deal with things. We all face challenge and challenge gives us choices because challenge is hard. It's tough. We have to commit to things. We have to accept responsibility. We have to deal with the unfortunate things. So our mind has got a choice every step along the way to go victim. Well, it's not my fault. It's the coach. He doesn't like me. I can't help being injured. Uh, I'm tired today. I'll cook some corners. Or thinking like a champion, stepping up like a champion every day of your sporting life. It's winning the battle of your own mind. And despite pressure and fatigue saying, I think and behave like a champion because that's what I want to be. Some people are fortunate enough to have an upbringing, which I guess really fosters more of a fighter mindset. And the same goes the other way. So some people have more of a difficult upbringing. So if someone has had a, a tricky upbringing and therefore is more liable to slip into the victim mindset, how easy is it to transform that? It's not easy, Simon. It's not easy. And I've failed many more times than I've succeeded. Some patterns of behaviour established very deep um, and under pressure, some people revert back to them. The difference is when you get a young person, a young boy or a young girl with an incredible passion to do well. Why is a very important factor in psychology? Why is the driving factor? Why am I doing this? Why do I commit to this? Why do I take the pain of this? Why? Now, when you get somebody with a very strong why, you then can begin to shape patterns of behaviour because there's a solid reason. And I make them write the reason why on the inside of the bedroom door so they see it first thing in the morning, keep a copy in their kit bag, keep a copy inside their locker because that reason why is the fuel with which they can make better choices every day and become stronger in character. Do you think you can succeed at anything without that why? Can anyone find a why in any situation? Say, for example, someone's doing a job that they don't particularly have a huge passion for. I think there, is, there are certainly situations where there are, there are whys that are very important to people in the most desperate of circumstances. So um, a migrant trying to make this country would, would give you a very strong why. A man working in a factory who hates his job would give you a very strong why, because I feed the children every week. I keep the family going. And I think there are probably men and women who do things all over this country every week, which they particularly don't particularly want to do, but they understand that they have to, because we have to live, we have to survive. The more difficult situation is when you have a choice, when you have a choice of why, and that distinguishes between the real fighters and the victims when there's a choice and actually I could go to practice or I could watch another film on TV. How can you develop that? I mean, I've heard you talk about, for example, players you've worked alongside and you'd get them to do certain behaviours on certain days, you know, and build up until they were habits. So how would you go about building consistency and good habits in someone? And how important is that in terms of character? Well, consistency is everything because I don't trust you if you're not consistent. A coach who is not consistent is not trusted by the players. A player who is not consistent in his behaviour on, uh, in practice on the field and game field is not trusted by the coach. 
So consistency is very important. It's a test of our character in action that we are consistent. There are some players I watch and I know that they will perform to their utmost. I just know that because they are consistent in their behavioural patterns. Now, if somebody is inconsistent, it's because they're conceding to some outside excuse or pressure or fatigue and taking a time out away from consistency and then trying to get it again. So it's tough on your own, but if you've got good coaching staff around you, they will pick you up on that. They will get you back to consistency. So one of the things I do with some of my clients is, uh, certainly I remember one rugby player, there are three lines of performance. There's a 100% line, which perfection, which some people chase, but really not possible. Usually the highest level of performance is 90% perhaps for this player, and your lowest percentage of performance, 60%. So I have an England rugby player telling me that when he's playing really well, he's 90%. When he's not having a good game, he can go down as low as 60%. That's inconsistent. That's not acceptable. So we'd stop focusing on the top line, 90 to try and get to 92, and we started to focus on the 60% to get to 80%. And that was done quite quickly by increasing awareness, watching film, asking what he was thinking, what could he have done better. And so that revolutionised his performance because he became a consistently higher standard player. Might not always be 90, but never lower than 80. That sounds like something that could be really applied to normal life then, because I wanted to ask you about performing when you're not, you talk about when you're fatigued, when you're not on good form. Let's say when you are tired, when you're feeling unwell, something like that. So focusing on how you perform in those situations, as opposed to how you perform when you're at your best, is it orienteering in that direction? So making, getting a handle on those, those tougher moments as opposed to, to when you feel good. Is that a good way of switching your mindset to get that consistency then? I think that's very good, Simon. I think it's learning what to avoid. So, for example, you avoid hated, the word hated. H stands for hungry. A stands for angry. T stands for tired. E stands for emotional. And D stands for dehydrated. Any one of those factors can interfere with your mental strength and prevent you performing at your highest level. So there are situations which you learn to avoid. You can take, if you take care of yourself in a, in a much more disciplined manner, you can avoid many of the things, situations that cause you to behave inconsistently. We all slip up from time to time and you get into that place where emotional overwhelm comes into play. What tools would you have for managing your state when you are overwhelmed, when you are tired, when you are angry? I remember working with a 14-year-old Stephen Gerrard on this situation and, and teaching him traffic lights. The behaviour we don't want, the inconsistent behaviour we don't want, we don't want to go into the red. We don't want to see red because that's when we, get, we produce our worst behaviour and there's re, repercussions. We'd like to stay in the green, so we define what's green behaviour. We're in flow, everything's going nicely and smoothly, we're in control, we're consistent in our behaviour. And we have this wonderful thing called amber in between, which is a warning signal. So we, we'd work on, it's 
people need to understand and recognise and become aware of amber when they're getting hot and bothered, when they suddenly get angus bills up or they suddenly realise they're tired or they've not drunk water for some time. Recognising the amber and going back to the green, going back into the flow state. So a little bit of it's awareness, recognition, and then having the sort of strength of character to prevent going into the red and, and revert back to the green. It's interesting. I was just thinking about this opportunity for reflection that we have right now and perhaps something that, that would be worthwhile then for people to consider is is reflecting on on how they behave or how they cope with when they're not at their best, what they can do to ensure that in that situation they do perform their best and also keeping an eye out for those amber signals that suggest they're going in that direction. Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for self-reflection and for reshaping some, many of our behavioural patterns. Because if we recognise the situations that cause us to lose control, then we've got far greater chance of avoiding them and staying consistently green. Uh, how easy is it to, to identify what those triggers may be? And I guess they're different for everyone. Well, it's difficult for an individual on their own because people find it difficult to be honest with themselves. Um, and I suppose I speak from a, from a position of being a thinking partner to many, many people who structures the conversation so that those things are revealed, who welcomes vulnerability, who deals with so many people, nothing surprises me. And... I understand weakness. I empathise with weakness. I understand it. I, we're human. But if, if, any, if an individual can find somebody who can structure that conversation and allow them to reflect more deeply on the whys and why nots, then I think that's very, very helpful. Could that even be someone's partner to talk about, be honest with me about my weaknesses and what I could potentially work on? Or would you advise not doing that with your partner and finding someone else? No, I'd absolutely advise it um, because I think it strengthens the relationship. It's tough. It's tough to hear somebody you love uh, talk about your weaknesses. I think when you start probably a relationship, you, you play to your strengths. But when you're... Uh, more mature and, and the relationships develop, you, you're willing to embrace your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses. So I actually, I always advise that people make their partners part of the solution, not part of the problem. Bill, we did talk a little bit about the victim mindset and people who perhaps are um, stuck in that place. If you had a sort of, and I know it's not one size fits all, but a bit of a advice for switching from victim mindset to fighter mindset, what would that process look like? Well, the end point of that process is if, if somebody's in victim mentality and stuck there, the end point, and sometimes I recognise that I have to wait for this, is breakdown to breakthrough. Their behavioural pattern will decline to a point where they reach a breakdown in, in life and in relationships, in situations. So a player exhibiting poor behaviour will find that no club wants to sign him or that the team don't want him around. And sometimes that breakdown phase is necessary for facing the truth, for being honest. So there, before that, it's, it's a conversation and with, about awareness, about honesty, 
about what do you want? You know, I ask three questions really most of the time. What do you want? That's a big question with people. What do you want? They've got to want to be better. They've got to want to behave in a different way. The second question is, how badly do you want it? Because it's not going to be easy. And the third one is, how much are you willing to suffer? Because change comes at a cost. So those are three questions people now in this situation we find ourselves in could reflect on themselves. I, I think the first one certainly is, you know, we talked about reviewing your life story. You know, what do you want? What do you and your partner want? The, the, is the life you're leading before lockdown going to give you what you want from life? Some, I'm, I'm convinced that many people come out of this wanting a simpler life. More time with the family, more time in the garden, more time reading. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And, and they've got the opportunity to reshape their future in a way that they start to gently move off the treadmill and begin to take control. So having a, a fighter mindset and having character could actually mean being brave enough to say, I would want to work less. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, that's a very brave thing to do. Within the context of feeding your family and paying the mortgage, I understand all that. I've had to do it myself. If you've got some flexibility of your situation, then having the bravery to use that flexibility to reshape and say, this is what we want. The quality of life issues, yes, you, you have to work for them. They don't come easy. Watching television's easy. Owning yeah. a property, keep holding down a job, maintaining a relationship, they're not easy. Yeah. I know you spoke then, Bill, about the importance of rest and recovery in one of your books. And it's interesting that we are in this phase. And it seems counterintuitive because we've spoken a lot actually about reflection and about getting more balance and not just having this go, 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 go mentality. So rest and recovery and reflection are actually hugely undervalued things, would you say? Absolutely. I think I can find you a million coaches who can tell you everything you need to know about work. Um, and that's the culture of coaching that's developed. But I can find you very few who could talk to you reasonably about, or even put into action, keeping a team fresh through a long season. I, I can remember when I was assistant manager at Middlesbrough with Steve, Steve McLaren, and uh, we'd hit a low point. And uh, he called us a meeting, staff meeting, asked for people's thoughts. And I said, I think we should give everybody two days off. And there was hoots of laughter around the table. You know, there were people who thought, we need, we're not doing well, we need more work. I said, no, we need no work. We need people to come back in two days' time, staff and players, physically, mentally, but more, and more importantly, emotionally refreshed, ready for the battle. Uh, I, when I mentioned hated, tiredness makes victims of all of us. Fatigue, oh, great Vince Lombardi coach, fatigue makes cowards of all of us. We were fatigued. Mm. We took the two, Steve is, was wonderful with me. And he took the two days off, very brave for a manager in those days. He took the two days off and the world was a different place whenever he reported back for duty. 
to sum up then, Bill, about character, and we've covered lots of things in terms of reflecting on how one reacts when they're in difficult situations through to vulnerability, through to consistency, through to self-talk. What is the key, do you think, to character and to what degree is development of character the key to genuine success in life? The initial key is, 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 is good parents. I'm a believer in, in the Jesuits. Um, give me a boy or a girl to the age of eight and I'll give you the man or the woman. I think many, many of our life habits and our ways of thinking and seeing the world are established by the age of eight. So I think good parents, there's nothing better than good parents for a, a child. And then I think significant others in your life. I've been very lucky in my life to meet good people at key moments. And those good people have shaped me, shaped my character. I've modelled myself on them because I'm so much in awe of them. And then the community you spend your time in. Choose the people you spend time with. Choose people that help you reinforce the good things in your character not the bad things is character key to a good life then i think it's got to be important because character is the basis from which we deal with life and we make a success of life and we we cope with the challenges of life so life constantly throws up choices to us and our character determines the choices we make and those can be with good character, very successful choices that see us through the challenges, see us through the tricky situations and allow us to lead a full and happy life. Okay, final question, Bill, then. For someone listening who's thinking, okay, perhaps I do veer a bit more towards the victim mindset and my character could be improved and I'm not surrounded by the the best people and I didn't have the best parents, what one tip would you give them for developing their own character? Start to build good habits of behaviour. There's, there's a lovely little book called Make Your Bed in which a retired admiral, American admiral, talks about the importance in life about making your bed in the morning because it sets a pattern of doing the right things consistently, repeatedly through the day. And circumstances vary for everybody and I have tremendous empathy with the situation many people find themselves in. But I don't have any sympathy. I think that they have a choice to emerge from that. They need to fight to emerge from that. And they can start by trying to do more right things, simple little right things every day. Build up a pattern of doing the right things so that when you do the wrong thing, you immediately recognise it and you feel bad about it. That's easy advice to give, but it's, it's a starting point. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.